Excuse me. We've got two passages to read from the Bible tonight. Um, the first one's from Jeremiah, chapter 23, verses 16 to 29. You'll find that on page 7. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Do not listen to what the prophets are prophesying to you. They fill you with false hopes. They speak visions from their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They keep saying to those who despise me, the Lord says you will have peace. And to all who follow the stubbornness of their hearts, they say, no harm will come to you. But which of them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see or to hear his word? Who has listened and heard his word? See, the storm of the Lord will burst out in wrath, a whirlwind swirling down on the heads of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he fully accomplishes the purposes of his heart in the days to come. You will understand it clearly. I did not send these prophets, yet they have run with their message. I did not speak to them, yet they have prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, they would have proclaimed my words to my people and they would have turned from their evil ways and from their evil deeds. Am I only a God nearby, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Who can hide in secret places so that I cannot see them, declares the Lord. Do, I, do not I fill the heavens and earth, declares the Lord. I have heard what the prophets say who prophesy lies in my name. They say, I had a dream, I had a dream. How long will this continue in the hearts of these lying prophets who prophesy delusions of their own minds? They think the dreams they tell one another will make my people forget my name, just as their ancestors forgot my name through Baal worship. Let the prophet who has a dream recount the dream. Let the one who has my word speak it faithfully. For what has straw to do with grain, declares the Lord? Is not my word like a fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces? <clears throat> then the second reading is from Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 to 10. Paul, an apostle sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me, to the churches in Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of God, sorry, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse, as we have already said. And now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, a little bit of sitting tonight, but such good things to hear, aren't they? Um, Kate, we are all broken, all weak, and uh, we're all trophies of grace in many ways. 
Um, and we're going to hear about that, I hope, through the four minutes of grace. Hey, look, really quickly, I chose the Jeremiah text earlier on in the week. <laughs> I chose it um, to make the point that not all messages that purport to come from God are from God. Not all messages are, are good. They're not from God, even if they sound good. You see that? Uh, they keep saying to those who despise me, the Lord says, you will have peace. But they're making it up, you see. But if they stood in my counsel, says God, if they'd stood in the my counsel to see or hear my word, what would they have said? They would have told people to come up against the, the judgment of God and then eventually to the grace of God. But because they come up against neither the judgment of God for their sin and their brokenness nor the grace of God in all its healing power, they end up with anemic faith. You know, they end up with um, something in the end that's not real. And Jeremiah says, what's straw got to do with grain? Seriously, what's straw got to do with grain? Is not my word like fire and like a hammer that breaks rocks to pieces? Let's stand in his counsel and hear his word. Amen? Let me pray. Father, your gospel is fire from above. It breaks rocks to pieces. So we pray that you'll light us up tonight with grace. Break our, break our stubborn hearts, break the bonds which enslave us. Father, you have liberated us from our sins. Show us then the freedom that we have in Christ and guard that freedom for Christ's sake. Guard it in our hearts, guard it in our community. We pray this for Christ's sake. Amen. What you say matters, what you do matters, what you believe Matters, and that's one of the things we're going to learn through this 11-week series in the book of Galatians. That is, things held privately in your heart, they have real consequences on the ground, in communities, in lives, in relationships, in families. They really do. So you can change someone's heart up without even knowing that you're doing it. Or you could liberate them or be part of their liberation with joy, and you'll do that, the chaining or the liberation, by, here it is, by the gospel you hold on to. And all of you, every Australian, every human being has a gospel. Might not be the Christian one. They all have a gospel. You do. Sincerely held, you have a message that you cling to and that you let others know about. It bubbles up with your words or your life or both, you have this message to be announced to others. What is your gospel? You can get at your gospel by honestly answering a simple question. And the simple question is something like, what's the main thing in life? What do I believe is the main thing? Now you answer that question with honesty and you are close to finding out the thing you want announced. But not all Gospels are good, even if they look good. <laughs> and we're going to learn that in the book of Galatians over 11 weeks. Some basic facts. The Apostle Paul wrote the, book, the letter to the Galatians. You know that from chapter 1, verse 1, which you have before you right there on page 8. He wrote it, we're told, as an apostle which is just a word which means the one, a, one, a one sent by Jesus Christ, late, and sent by God the Father. Verse 1, the one who raised him, Jesus, from the dead. That is, he's not sanctioned or authorized by any man 
or any group of men. Now, that's important to keep in mind for next week. Sorry, guys. You can download it. And the week after. That's very important. He's not sanctioned. He's not authorised. He hasn't got a stamp from someone else. He wrote this letter, six chapters, two, chapter one, verse two, the churches in Galatia, dotted communities in what is now modern Turkey, which is, I say this for you Aussies, about 600 kilometres inland from Gallipoli. There you go. It's written early in the life of the New Testament. Perhaps this is his earliest letter around 50 AD, give or take, depending on which scholar you listen to. Now get your mind around that. That's only two decades after the resurrection of Jesus. The gospel, the Christian gospel or message, has bubbled up and has spread 1,500 kilometers north from where it all began in Jerusalem where Jesus died and rose again. Now, that's amazing and that's good news. And yet, you see, in Galatians, and yet there's a threat to this gospel that has been announced, the threat that could lead to, verse 8, that could lead to being under God's curse in the original language that could lead a person to anathema, that's the word, anathema. Peter, Peter Fitzsimons used the word twice this week in the Herald. Could lead a person to anathema, to be eternally condemned to be under God's curse, it could lead a person to hell. Look at verse 1, verse 8. I, uh, where it is? Uh, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a message, a gospel, other than the one that we preach to you, let them be anathema, under God's curse. You get a visit from the angels. If it's something different from the one you first heard, anathema. I love verse 9. Look at it. As we've already said, like in verse 8, so now I say again, for the second time in five seconds, if anybody, anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than the one that you accepted in the first place, it's not from God, let them be anathema, under God's curse. Now that's harsh, but it functions a little bit like a bomb at the beginning of a movie. You know, if a bomb goes off in the first 20 seconds, I'm in. I just, I want to know what the problem is and what the solution is and who's going to provide the solution. In his later letters, Paul starts off very encouraging, you know, blah, 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 thank God, blah, 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 this is encouraging. But here he's very blunt. <clears throat> After a brief statement, which is packed with goodness, verses three to five, he lets fly in verse six, I'm astonished, right, straight away, astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you, right, God, the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ, and we've already been talking about that tonight, thank you, to live in the grace of Christ and so quickly turning to a different message, which really is no gospel, it's not good news in any way. I'm astonished, says Paul. I'm flabbergasted. You like that word? You should use it more often. I'm flabbergasted. I can't believe it. You're deserting the one who called you. Now, why would you do that? So for the uninitiated, this is going to require a little bit of work, which is why we've produced the whole letter for you, all six chapters, and that's either given to you as you walked in or at the end of your pew. 
By the way, if you look closely, there are two forms of the letter. Did you notice that? Look at the person next to you. One of you, probably, should have numbers, and the other one has no numbers. One of you has chapter and verse. The other one has a script that just reads like a letter or a novel you might receive by getting it in the first place. You, you with me on this, by the way? Can you see it? Look around. I've given it to you like that because, you know, like you go to a reception, a wedding reception, and they give you the beef or the salmon, and you're sitting next to somebody and you say, I want the beef, that's good news, I want the salmon. Well, if you're the kind of person that loves verse numbers, take it home and read it. If you're the kind of person that likes to read script as though it's a, a letter to you, like it was originally without verse numbers, then take the one without the verse numbers and then go home and read it and find out the problem. The bomb has gone off. Find out what the solution is. Work it out. Work out how the Galatian, the churches of Galatia, got there to this walking away from the true gospel. What pressures were exerted? What agitation took place? What was the function of that fear? How did it work in their life? How was it applied in the first place? Get out a pen, go to a news agent, and buy a few highlighters and pretend like you're back in high school and follow the themes, sound out the argument, look for the pressure points. Can I urge you to do that? Along with Luke, are you with Jesus? Today is a simple introduction to the book, but if you've got that whole text in front of you, look at chapter 3, verse 1. So you have to go to the beef now rather than the salmon. So you know, look around if you've got it. Chapter 3, verse 1. A couple of things. Look at this. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who's, who's cast a spell over you, right? Someone's come into your church and they've done this sort of Jedi mind trick. Um, the gospel of grace is not the gospel you're looking for. And you believe them. Why were they pressured? And why did they buckle under the pressure? Look at chapter 5, verse 7. Chapter 5, verse 7, back page. You were running a good race. Who bumped into you and knocked you off course, you see? Who did that and why? One of my favorite verses of Scripture is chapter 5, verse 1, back on the third page. Chapter 5, verse 1, it's for freedom, Paul writes, that Christ has set us free. Like, what is that, tautology? No, no, it's for slavery that Christ has set us free. No, no. It's for freedom that Christ has set, set us free. But we have to say that because you have to stand firm and fight. Do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. The chains fell off. So why are you begging for the irons to be put back on again? Go read it over the 11 weeks. So whatever else you know about this book, Paul is urging for you to find a freedom, a kind, a particular kind of freedom, the best and only freedom that comes from God. 11 weeks. So two points very quickly by way of introduction to the book. Number one, embrace the gospel, and number two, reject other gospels. You've got to do both. Embrace the gospel and reject other gospels. Embrace the gospel, which is grace, leading to peace or shalom, and it comes from God. I get that from verses one through five. I think Paul's primary concern in Galatians is that you embrace the one true gospel and not the one that comes from your own heart and mind. The message that comes from God and is not from any man or any human. And it's a message that can be embraced all over the world. We're gonna discover that during 
It's the only genuinely monotheistic world religion that can be expressed in Burkina Faso, in Spain, in, Aboriginal, in indigenous communities and in, in, in England, for goodness sake. It can be expressed all over the world and not just in Jewish communities. And that was a surprise. Paul was preaching all over the world that you can know God and you can know him through the Jewish Messiah, Jesus, but that you could come to know God through the Jewish Messiah without adopting the Jewish customs that were in the Bible as they had it, the Jewish scriptures. You didn't have to follow all the things that were set out in the Jewish Torah that marked Israelites as Israelites. You weren't, therefore, justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. That's what he said all over the world, including in Turkey. Now, what that meant was that even though the Bible said something, that is the Old Testament as it was then, even though it specified things like circumcision, awkward, won't be mentioned as many times as grace, but will be mentioned through the series. The Old Testament required circumcision for your boys and your boys only as a sign of the covenant. The Bible said that. It also said to keep Sabbath days in certain ways and to refrain from certain foods. All those things marked out the children of Abraham. Even though the Bible actually required those things of Israelites to mark them as separate, those things were not required of non-Jews. That means the phrase, the Bible says it, can't in fact entirely be, we're going to understand it in terms of the narrative of the whole of Scripture. The point that Paul was making is that those things are not the point, those Jewish markers. They've never been the point. Belief, in fact, or faith has always been the point, Old and New Testaments. So that means that Paul had a message for non-Jews. Uh, goy, like me. <laughs> um, which is that I could trust Jesus and I'd be right with God. You don't want to add to that. You can't add to that if you want to see trophies of grace. You certainly don't want to take anything away from that. Which means you're going to have to come up against the judgment of God and the grace of God at the same time. You're going to have to die before you are raised again from the dead. It's going to be hard work to come up against the gospel. But it's going to liberate you. But because Paul was preaching this, the gospel traversed the world. And I know that because I was at a wedding reception yesterday when on, down at Ventura, down at Hickson Road Wharf, and a plate came around uh, before the mains were served. And it was lovely. On the plate was a prawn wrapped in bacon. It was sensational. Thank you for asking. But as I took this prawn, this crustacean wrapped in bacon, I had this overwhelming feeling because I've read the Bible and I love the Bible, I can't believe that I can chow down on this thing and still know God. I can know God and eat it. Now you think, of course so. That's not true if you read your old covenant. 
I said, it came out a little plate. I thought, if they drowned this thing in milk, the whole thing would have been a rabbi's nightmare. <laughs> but I'm free, you see. In more ways than you can imagine, not just from sin. God loved me. He saved me. He gave me his spirit. He forgave me. Without works of the law, right? I can eat the prawn and not circumcise my sons. I can. I don't have to. I cannot circumcise my sons and still be right with God. And that's the surprise. So what's the main thing? That's the question. How do you know you're the gospel? Well, here it is. It's in verse 3, chapter 1, verse 3. Here it is, packed with goodness. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of, of God our Father. It was always his plan to whom be glory forever and ever. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Grace is key. Grace leading to peace. Grace is everything. Grace makes all the difference. Grace, by the way, is when you're loved at the bottom, not clapped at the top. Grace is when God does the work for you. You didn't do it for him. And it leads to peace, not performance anxiety. Grace is Jesus Christ, verse 3, who gave himself for our sins to rescue me from the present evil age, which is not now as if this age is worse than any other age, but the era of sin, the age of brokenness. It leads to peace now in this era and in the life to come in the resurrection. Paul believed that to change that gospel was to destroy the wonder and the beauty and the power of grace alive in the heart of a sinner. That Christ Jesus gave himself for our sins to rescue us. To distort that gospel is to turn oxygen into carbon monoxide and breathe it in. It's to turn spring water into sewage and drink it. That's why he's astonished. And here's the key, and you're going to see it when you read it. There are some who walked into the churches in Galatia and they were adding to it. They're saying, you know what, you can know God, but you haven't got the main thing here. Because you're actually treading on the toes of the Jewish origins of salvation You're letting people in without works of the law. But the works of the law were supposed to go from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. But what we're discovering is this gospel, this other, this gospel is going from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. So what was the main thing for these agitators, he calls them, these pressure groups? Um, Lovely people, by the way. Very lovely, just sort of fear operating. They were in there to say, get your boys circumcised. Time to get out the knife. But Paul say, no, the main thing is the grace of God. So you're going to have to fight for it, you see. You're going to have to fight for grace. The drive to keep grace at the center must be relentless because you'll get pressure from every side to give it up. We need to embrace the gospel. And how do I know it? Well, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. That's why you have to stand firm. The price of gospel freedom is eternal vigilance. Later, Paul's going to say in chapter 5, verse 2, 
if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he's obligated to obey the whole law. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any true value. The only thing that counts, the main thing, is faith expressing itself through love. Later, faith as new creation. In fact, he'll say in chapter 5, verse 12, as for those agitators, I'd wish they'd go the whole way and emasculate themselves, more awkward. <laughs> the knife didn't go, far, didn't go far enough. So interesting, isn't it? So fascinating. So important that it leads to my second point, which is we need to reject other Gospels. And they come via additions and subtractions and fear and pressure, and that leads to anathema, verses 6 to 10. It's that important. It's not enough just to be for the true gospel. We must reject the false gospels. And here it is, ready? Grace is right, and everything else is wrong. Write that one down. <laughs> Grace is right, everything else is wrong. We're not saved by works of the law, which are often discovered when people take pride in position, ethnicity, adherence to one or two things that you pride yourselves on keeping in a way that helps you to feel a little bit superior to others. The drive to keep grace at the center must be relentless. And everything conspires against us, it really does. We live in a culture that is stripped of grace. Uh, look at all the judgment on Facebook. It's amazing. It's like because we decided there wasn't a God who could judge or send anybody to hell, we decided we'd become hell for them. Online. Our hearts conspire against us. We want to feel superior to others. It's not good enough. Grace makes the difference. C.S. Lewis walked into a room of boffins at Oxford. They're all debating what the difference is between Christianity and all other religions. Is it one God? No, there's other monotheistic religions. Is it revelation? No, lots of religions have God revealing something. Is it resurrection? No, other religions have uh, people rising from the dead. Lewis walked in and said, oh, that's easy. The difference? That's easy. It's grace. It's our job to relentlessly hold on to grace as our only evangelistic tool for filling the city with the gospel. Grace must govern our words and our actions, that he chose me, he loved me, he forgave me. That makes me the sinner, right? He, but, and yet he filled me with his spirit and he brings forth in me fruit. We're gonna see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness over time. He brings it forth in me in the same way that the sun makes a plant grow. In other words, it's all of grace. And this is offensive. It's offensive because it means that other people's main thing that they'll pressure you into believing is wrong. You just have to be a good person. That's the main thing. You just have to be a person of integrity. That's the main thing. You have to buy the current world view, the current political correct Pressure points, that's the main thing. It's hard to keep pressing for grace, which I think is why Paul sort of says in verse 10, am I trying to win a pr human approval? I'm not. I, 
I'm trying to be a servant of Christ, which is why I'm preaching grace. Because people in our world will go into bat for heart slavery and performance-based worldview every day and twice on Sundays. Paul says, reject other gospels. Don't give in for one minute to those who, who want to rob you of freedom. Let them, in fact, he writes, be eternally condemned. Anathema. By the way, I'd love someone to put on Instagram, what's God's plan for religious people who take you away from grace? Because I'd love to answer, hell. I wouldn't like to answer it. Hell, unless they repent of their sins and turn to God. You see that? By the way, leaving aside the obvious with respect to Israel Falau this week, the obvious being that God's plan for everyone is salvation if they repent and, and turn to God. I'm not uh, dissing on Israel Falau. I, I, I really like his boldness, and I sort of like how the commentariat, you know, are up in arms. <laughs> how dare you say that? Um, sort of fun to watch. But... Um, but I found it fascinating to me, just one thing, I found it fascinating that Peter Fitzsimons has his own gospel in the Herald this week, and namely, he wrote, basically, if Israel doesn't repent of his views, then he is anathema to rugby league. He actually used that word on April the 6th, anathema. What's the main thing? Inclusion. That's Peter Fitzsimon's gospel. But grace is right and everything else is wrong. You see, inclusion is anemic. And I get the point. I get, I get the point. The Christian says, what's the main thing? Grace to sinners like me. Paul will write, I've been crucified with Christ. I got taken to the tomb. And so it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I live now in the body, right here in Sydney, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And it's life's battle. <laughs> not a walk in the park. We're going to explore this over 11 weeks. The reason why it's not a walk in the park is that your freedom was one of the costs in the life and death of Jesus Christ. And I'll just briefly end here. Eugene Peterson makes this clear in his work in Galatians. And you can see the quote on page two of your orders of service. He writes that the freedom that was won for you, the chains that came off, wasn't easy. He writes, there's a freedom possible, but it's not natural. It does not show itself as a product of a smoothly developing process, the natural unfolding of bud to blossom. No freedom, we are told in Galatians, is not natural at all. It is, in fact, a victorious prize in a pitched battle. You think, oh, God should be nice to me. That's his job. Heck no. Our freedom to live does not come out of a quiet Sunday afternoon in meadows fragrant with rows of Easter lilies, but out of dark traumatic agonies marked by Lucifer's plunge from the heights of war in heaven, cries for, for crucifixion, the dreadful scream, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Christ had to go to the cross for your freedom. The story of freedom is like that of the earth's crust under the quiet, mild, calm, or exposed cross sections that tell of volcanic eruptions, devastating earthquakes and droughts and floods, the present free moment that you have is not the natural accumulation of goodness, but a paragraph in a history of conflict comprising of alienation, reconciliation, war, and then peace. The verbs of freedom, he writes, are raised and rescued. 
and God is the subject of each of them. Amen? You see what he's saying? There's a freedom that has been fought for by Jesus. You need to fight for it in your life. More in the weeks to come. Let's pray. Father, it's uh, easy for us to be anemic about our faith, to uh, think that you're basically disposed to good people like me and uh, therefore um, uh, everything should be okay. (laughs) This is not your gospel and if we were to stand in your counsel and hear your word and be touched by your spirit, we'd come up against the death of Jesus Christ for my sin, the the cry, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me in order to loose the bonds of my sin and, and guilt and give me life and hope and freedom and forgiveness and grace upon grace so that I can live each day in confidence and power and not have to go back to performance or works of the law. I thank you that I can eat freely and live freely and love freely. Father, help us to know what the main thing is, faith expressing itself through love. We ask for this mercy for Christ's sake. Amen.